0: Very good evening. Please do be seated. Well done for braving the wet weather. It's lovely to see you all. We're continuing our series through the book of Exodus. So it'd be great if you could open your Bibles again to page sixty eight. Page sixty-eight. It's Exodus. We're picking it up in chapter fifteen and verse twenty two. Exodus chapter fifteen, page sixty eight, and that's verse twenty two other thing you might find helpful is in the very center of your bulletin, there's an outline, a very brief one, with some space for taking notes. Um, So do that if that's helpful. Shall we start with prayer? Mighty God, we pray now that you would graciously work in our hearts, that as we consider your word together, that word might be able to change us that word might be able to point us to your Son to build up our faith and keep us in him to the end. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. My dear brothers and sisters, today we are going to see a bad example, an example of unbelieving and evil hearts, and we will see it so that we can avoid doing the same. Last week we heard of how God had defeated Pharaoh and his army as he brought his people safely through dry land and drowned the Egyptians with walls of water. Then we heard of how Miriam had led the people in songs of great joy in salvation, leading them with tambourines and dancing, singing, sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously the horse and his riding he is thrown into the sea. What we saw last week was the decisive Old Testament victory of God over his people's enemies. They had only to watch. No wonder they were so full of joy. Since then, three short days have passed, and God's people are now in the wilderness of Shur. There is no water. They are thirsty. And when they finally find water at Marah, it is undrinkably bitter. But they do not cry out to the Lord who has just marvelously saved them. Instead, they grumble against Moses. And they say, and this is chapter 15 and verse 24, they say, What shall we drink? And I'm wondering whether this evening there are some here. Who are a little bit like doing the same. Let me remind you that just three short weeks ago, we gathered here singing joyful hallelujahs. Christ has risen. Sin and death are defeated. God gave us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. But perhaps today, for some of us, it's, it's a little bit different. Perhaps things are somehow now too hard. Things have gone wrong. Perhaps our, this, perhaps our marriages are straining or, or, or we're fighting with sickness in the family or, or we know there are struggles at home or, or at work or, or whatever it is. I wonder whether for some of us there is something that has made us stop seeing joyful hallelujahs and led us to want to grumble like the Israelites. As if somehow the God who had saved us so wonderfully in his son is suddenly unable to hear and help us when we call on him as if god can drown all of pharaoh's chariots with walls of water but but cannot give his people water when they are thirsty oh so it is that in verse 25 we find moses alone cries out to the lord the lord hears moses the lord shows him a log And the log then makes the bitter water sweet. Instead of giving to his faithless people the bitter judgment, God so graciously has given them sweet, sweet water. And he's reassured them that he is still with them, a very present help in times of trouble. And there he grants them a statute and a law a way to walk rightly before him, a way with a marvellous promise attached. I want you to see this together. It's verse 26. If you diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put on you none of the diseases that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. See, sickness and health are both in the hands of the Lord, and he promises them here only health, not sickness, if they will obey him and walk in his way. And then, as if to prove it, he brings them to Elim, where they find wonderful refreshment in an oasis of plentiful water and palm trees, hopefully here They will learn their lesson and be faithless grumblers no more. Let's see. God now leads them on, and we're at point two of your outline. It's now about six weeks since they sung the wonderful songs of salvation, and they're now in the wilderness of sin. There is nothing to eat. They hunger, and will they now cry out to the Lord? They will not. Again, they turn to Moses and grumble. They've seen so many great wonders from the Lord since the day he took them out of the land of Egypt to the present day. But the moment they do not see food in front of them, they start to grumble. And there are three terrible things I want us to see about this grumble. The first thing is that they're not denying God's power, but apparently they're denying that he would save them chapter 16 and this is verse 2 they grumble against moses and aaron saying would that we had died by the hand of the lord in egypt secondly they delude themselves that life in slavery and affliction in egypt was better they say when we sat by the meat pots and we ate bread to the full and third they accuse moses of having brought them out to murder them saying You've brought us out into this wilderness to kill the whole assembly with hunger. At which point, I want to ask two questions. First of all, what on earth is wrong with these people? And secondly, why are they so much like me? For I too know the wonderful, powerful works of God's salvation in Christ Jesus. But the moment that affliction and trouble come, I know I can all too easily start doubting whether God will hear me and help me. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's so easy for us to trust God when things are going well, but when, when, when struggles come, that's when we're put to the test. And it's in those struggles that we're at risk of believing the devil's lie that it would, it would have been better not to have been saved at all. He tells us things like this. If you weren't a Christian, think of the fun you would have. If you weren't a Christian, you could fix all your problems. If you weren't a Christian, you could still have that great life that you used to have. But don't buy the lie. We know that our old life wasn't great. It was shameful and sinful and full of guilt and sorrow. We know it. But it doesn't stop the devil trying to tell us otherwise when times are hard, does it? But I want to say it is a third part of their grumble, which is the worst of all. The grumble of saying that Moses brought them out to kill them, because Moses is not the one who brought them out of Egypt. It was the Lord God who brought them out of Egypt, and he did not bring them out of Egypt to kill them, but to save them and give them life. Their grumbling is grievous, and it is against the Lord God. Yet get this, even now the Lord remains gracious. Even now he does not straightaway pour out on them the diseases he put on the Egyptians. But he gives them just what they grumbled about meat and bread to the full but with it a test chapter 16 and verse 4 he says behold i am about to rain bread from heaven for you the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that i may test them whether they will walk in my law or not and it happens. That very evening, quail come up, and they cover the camp, flesh for everyone to eat. And then in the morning, God starts sending them daily bread from heaven, that manna, that fine flake-like bread. And the test? He gives them three simple and easy rules to follow. First, they are to gather only as much as each one can eat an omer per person second they're to keep none of it till the next day because it will come new every morning and third they are to gather double on the sixth day to keep for the sabbath for the sabbath is to be a solemn rest to the lord three fairly simple rules aren't they but how do they do They do very badly indeed. For first of all, some greedily gather more and some lazily gather less. But God in His grace frustrates their sin. And when they measure it, it's it's all the same. Second, some of them faithlessly try to keep some of it for the next day, yet God graciously fills it with worms so it stinks. And third, on the Sabbath day itself, some of them still go out to try to gather food. Even though it is a solemn rest, but they find none. All of this disobedience makes Moses angry, and it also makes the Lord angry. He says to them, verse 28, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? It's easy for us, I think, to identify with Moses and God here, isn't it? After all, how can they be so disobedient when God Himself is feeding them with bread from heaven every morning? But I wonder if we think about it, we can also identify a little bit with the Israelites as well. Let us think of some similar commands that we've been given to walk in. We are commanded of Scripture to do good and share and contribute to the needs of the saints. In fact, St. Paul makes this exact point as he applies this passage, urging us to let our abundance supply those who lack, saying, and I quote, As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. So why are are our hearts still so often hardened against those in need? let us not be disobedient like they were Jesus also commands us this he says do not lay up treasures on earth but lay up treasures in heaven again he says seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you yet like the Israelites if you're anything like me It's it's just so tempting to spend our time stockpiling our daily bread, laying up treasures on earth, isn't it? True, it may not grow worms and stink by tomorrow, but do we think that it does not stink before God? Let us not be faithless as they were. Or again, consider this matter of the Sabbath. I'm guessing they disobeyed because they thought something like this. I'm guessing they were thinking it would be better for me to disobey God and get one extra day of gathering in rather than to obey God and trust in his good provision and I wonder whether sometimes we we think about God's commands the same way somehow when it suits us we we we're, we're quite happy to ignore some of the things he says is that not right Let us not desire evil as they did. See their example. Because my dear brothers and sisters, you see, when we start going astray, ultimately, like grumbling, it shows a growing unbelief. And that is a very dangerous thing. Chapter 16 ends by telling us that this blessing of manna lasts for a full 40 years till they reach the border of Canaan. Then some of it is laid up in a jar before the Lord so that no one will ever forget the wonderful grace of God who sent life-giving bread from heaven. A wonderful grace which, if you remember our gospel reading, points us forward to Jesus, the true bread who comes down from heaven to give life to all who believe. Get their arrival at Canaan and, and the coming of Jesus is for, for another sermon. Today we need to follow them for one more stop in the wilderness, it's a third point on your outline. We're now in chapter 17 and verse 1. They are at Rephidim. There is again nothing to drink, and they are thirsty. And yet again, for the third time, they do not cry out to the Lord, but they turn to Moses and grumble. And they say to him, give us water to drink. It's faintly ridiculous, isn't it? How could Moses possibly create water for the assembly in the middle of the wilderness? Why do you quarrel with me, says Moses? Why do you test the Lord? Yet again, they grumble. They say, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? The people are getting angry. They want to strike down Moses. They want to stone him to death. Moses cries out to the Lord, What shall I do with these people? For they are almost ready to stone me. And here the Lord does something most wonderful. Pass on before the people, he says taking with you some of the elders of Israel. Take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. Behold, I will stand before you on the rock at Horeb and you shall strike the rock and water shall come out of it and the people shall drink. I want us to see why this is so amazing. I want us to notice two important things. First, what is is this staff it is he says the staff with which you struck the Nile that is the staff by which God brought God brought his judgments against the Egyptians for their sin and secondly what is it that was struck it was not Moses being struck by the anger of the people it was not God striking the grumbling unbelieving people although they deserved it no it is the rock at Horeb on which God stood it is the rock that was struck the rock was struck and not the sinners who deserved it and then out from it poured the miraculous water to drink now if you're thinking that this rock sounds a little bit like Christ well actually you're right It's not crystal clear for us here in Exodus, but when we come to St. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, he says precisely this, he writes, and I quote, they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. In other words, the rock that was struck is a type of Christ. The rock is like a picture of how Christ would one day be stricken for the transgression of all God's sinful, grumbling, and unbelieving people, of how the rod of judgment that we deserve would come down upon him, that out of him should flow streams of living water, that whoever drinks of him should never thirst again, but have eternal life. What a blessing to show that before his sinful, grumbling people. Yet my dear brothers and sisters know this. Despite even having Christ by a figure held before their eyes, they still did not turn from their evil, unbelieving hearts. And we see this as we look at the very last verse of our passage, Exodus chapter 17 and verse 7. He called the name of the place Massa and mariba because of the quarreling of the people of israel because they tested the lord Massa and mariba they literally mean testing and quarreling but they should also make us remember psalm 95 the psalm we sang parts of today and i quote it to you now the holy spirit says today if you hear his voice do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at Masher in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test, put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. That's what we've been seeing so far in Exodus, isn't it? But then the psalm goes on, and the Holy Spirit gives God's own judgment on the Israelites here in Exodus. He says, For 40 years, I loathed that generation and said, There are people who go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. Therefore, I swore in my wrath, They shall not enter my rest. They never learned the big lesson, did they? Despite God's marvelous mercies, new every morning, they died in the desert. Still evil and unbelieving, and they did not enter God's rest. It's really sad, isn't it? But it is the point of this part of Exodus for us. They are not good examples to follow, but bad examples to make sure we do not follow. They are recorded here for us to show us how extremely important it is that we hold firmly to Christ by faith to the end. St. Paul, in that passage on the rock, applies it in this very way. He reminds us that ultimately God overthrew most of them in the wilderness, and he says, and I quote, These things took place as examples to us that we should not desire evil as they did. And in our epistle reading from hebrews the same application is drawn first it quotes psalm 95 i swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest and then it says take care lest there be in any of you an evil and unbelieving heart causing you to fall away from the living god But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of us may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, for we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Those will be our two big applications today as well. Application one, make sure we look at those bad examples of faithlessness, and don't be like them hold firm to Christ to the end. Trust in the one who gives us the victory over sin and death and the devil. Don't grumble in unbelief, but call out to him in faith out of every trouble, knowing he loves you and he hears you. An application too. let us make sure we are encouraging each other to do the same, to hold firm to Christ to the end. But how do you do that? Actually, we're doing that now as we look at God's word together. We do it as we sing hymns together that keep pointing us back to the central truths of God's salvation. We do it as we pray for each other, to keep persevering in godliness and faith. We will do it very soon around the Lord's table as we proclaim Christ's death together until he comes again. But today, I want to encourage us to do it personally as well, to open our ears. And if we hear our brothers and sisters starting to grumble against the Lord or or going astray from his ways, please, please, lovingly but clearly exhort them to come back to Christ, to trust him to the end. Let's not follow the bad example of the Israelites, but do all we can to see that every one of us arrives through faith at God's rest. And finally, dear brothers and sisters, it may be that there are some of us here today who are feeling that we have already started to follow that bad example of faithlessness, that we've already started to grumble, that we've already started to go astray. If that is you, then do not despair. As the psalm says, if today you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Come back to Christ in repentance and faith. Know that he was struck even for your sins of faithlessness and grumbling and unbelief. Know that he calls you even now to repent and trust in him once more. But dear brother, dear sister, know that despite everything, he loves you so much that he gave his life for you. Let's pray. Almighty God, grant us this most of all that we should remain faithful to your son Jesus Christ until the end, our original confidence firm and unshaken. Pray, Father, that you would help us to trust more and more in him, that we should not grumble, but we should call out to you in any trouble, knowing you love us and hear us. Pray, Father, also that you would help us to exhort one another to keep trusting in your son to turn away from unbelief pray father that you would keep each one of us until the great day of your salvation that through your son who died for us we at the last will enter your rest and we pray to Almighty Father in Jesus name Amen